Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. This is the last episode in a three-part series with Jeff Davis, author of the new book, Create Togetherness, which is all about aligning sales and marketing to drive revenue. Now, if you missed the first two episodes, make sure you download those as well. At the end of this episode, we're going to tell you how you can win a free copy of Jeff's book. Jeff, welcome back to B2B Lead Gen. Eric, thank you. Excited to be on the show. Now, in, in the book, you write that sales reps need to position themselves as strategic advisors. And, um, and you say that they need to believe that if they help the buyers solve their problem, sellers will reward them with their business. How do you convince sales reps of that? Well, here's, here's, here's the reality of things. Sales, I'm sorry, buyers are coming to the conversation asking for very different things. Uh, it goes back to what we talked about in the, in the previous uh, episode, is that they are empowered with unlimited uh, information, resources, people. And so for you to come to the conversation and talk about features and benefits, they've done all of that information and research before, uh, before they've gotten to you. Um, uh, you know, many of them have already put together a short list of vendors that they want to talk to, and it's, and it's probably one of the reasons they're talking to you. So what they're really coming to you and asking you for is help us make a decision about how to move forward. And I think for salespeople today, the way to separate yourself from the pack is to not talk about how your solution is going to get them there, but to really co-create a solution with them and help them really truly understand what the root cause of the problem is. And, and why that's important is that when you do that, you help them see that you are adding value right off the start. And what you may even find out is you may uncover a bigger problem that positions you in a way that if you start working with us now, we know that this is coming and you build a long-term relationship. And so I think it's important that salespeople have to go into the conversation, obviously doing um, you know, the things that salespeople do, but really listening and really guiding the buyer and adding value at every step of the way uh, to be able to help them get to uh, uh, making a decision. One of the things, another indicator of that is that when we look at the data, uh, this is sales benchmark index, uh, that shows that that six, sorry, 59% of the deals that are lost uh, at B2B companies actually go to no deal. They're not going to competitors. It's that that, that that particular buying committee or team was not able to make a decision. So we need to get better at selling change, and we need to get better at co-creating solutions with buyers that are coming to the table. How, can you give us an example of how you might use alignment strategy to help position a sales rep as a strategic advisor? Yeah, one way that marketers can really help with this because it, it can be overwhelming for salespeople. They have so much going on, and, and I really want to, to hamper on that point that the, the average B2B sales rep today, whether it be an SDR, BDR, sales executive, they have so much technology in front of them. They have so many things they're supposed to do, social selling, and it's, it's overwhelming. So what marketing can help them do is, you know, one great thing would be identifying content and resources that is um, – that is appropriate for their target audience. That allows them to, to share those things on LinkedIn, on, on, on Twitter, whatever social platform is most appropriate for their particular target buyer. And then giving them some context of like, here are some of the things that the buyer you know, is, 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 would want to know. Here are the highlights of this article. And you know, whether the salesperson takes that piece of content and adds a video to that to make it personalized, 
that's a much easier way for salespeople instead of hunting all over the place and going back to the 36.6% of salespeople's time actually focused on selling, instead of doing all that, how that come from marketing to say, you know, we've identified that this quarter, these are the top resources that uh, our, your target buyer is going to be looking at. This is what they value. Here are some pieces we think would be great for you to share with them. And here's some, here's some talking points that we think would position you in a way that they, they would understand. You're not just there to talk about your product or service, but you also have a, a keen understanding of what's happening in the marketplace. Does, does alignment strategy have to be top-led? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book, and it's actually part of my, my six key imperatives uh, to transformation. So before you even uh, start talking about how we align our teams, uh, you have to have CEO um, support and CEO in, um, uh, endorsement. Um, if you do not have the CEO on board and, and have the voice of the CEO, this alignment effort will be short-lived and or not work at all. What we have to understand is that sales and marketing alignment is a business transformation. This goes all the way to the top of the organization. If you try to just put a sales and marketing leader in a room and try to, try to do this and, and elicit the change that needs to happen, uh, again, it's going to be extremely difficult and getting uh, everybody to switch gears and, 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 and just say that this is the way that we're moving forward, that voice needs to come from the CEO. So I'm curious to know, because I know you are an advisor traveling all over the world, uh, helping make the case for alignment. Um, and, you know, well-reasoned, pragmatic arguments can motivate you up to a point, but eventually, you know, to, to really win an argument, you've got to pursue uh, and resonate at a more human level. So what are, what are the sort of messages when you're advising a CEO on alignment that really get them over the hurdle and get them to commit? Yeah, and it's one of the reasons I created the mantra Create Togetherness uh, because it truly is about more than just processes and data and metrics. It's about people. Uh, and one of the reasons that we've had this dysfunctional relationship between sales and marketing for so long is that we just don't know each other. We know a lot about sales. We know a lot about marketing. But those two groups don't know each other. And in this new era and this new phase of where we're going with B2B, the buyer is in control. It's not a question. It's coming, whether you believe it or not. And, and one of the things that I say is like, you have two of your, you know, most valuable resources, your sales team and your marketing team, not working together, not understanding each other. You know, if the, if the fight is coming at you and things are changing, don't you want these two people to be on the same team and be able to support each other? And what a lot of senior leaders don't understand is that sales and marketing in most organizations they might have a friendly relationship. They might, quote, unquote, get along, but they don't truly have a business relationship where they can leverage each other in a meaningful way. And so it's, for me, at the end of the day, my work is about people, and I want every marketing leader to understand why their sales leader is important, and I want every sales leader to understand why their marketing is important and why they should have a, a business relationship in order to make their work more efficient and better. Once you get the leaders to agree on the benefits of an alignment strategy, what's the next step? Yeah, so the next step is uh, we, we go to, through my, my three pillars of alignment strategy. Uh, and so, you know, like I said, there's the six imperatives which folks can read in the book. But once you get to that and everybody's on, on the same page uh, and we have a clear vision for where we want to go, then we need to, 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 to do work within three different, three, the three different pillars. And so those are data, 
process and communication. Uh, and so, you know, it's important to make sure that you address all three of them, because if you don't, again, this alignment transformation will be short-lived or not work at all. And so a great example I use when I'm doing keynotes at conferences is that if you focus on creating a really great sales process and a really great revenue process, you also have really great communication, everybody's talking to each other, but you don't do the due diligence on making sure you have good data, you are basically guessing. Data really is the foundation of moving forward in the B2B space, and those companies that understand that data basically is more important and more valuable than oil will really be positioning themselves to make really smart decisions and, able, and be able to, uh, to pivot. And so the objective of each one of those, I'll go through really quickly the objective of each one of those pillars uh, and what you really are focused on as you're putting together strategies behind them. So under the data pillar, the objective really is to create a single view of the customer, uh, customer interactions, I'm sorry, to better understand the buyer. And this is digging into your data and really understanding your customer, not just from a feeling of like, oh, we think this, we think this, but what, are the, what, are the, what does the data show? Uh, and I've worked with clients before where they thought one particular target audience was who they should be going after. When we found, we pulled open the, the curtains and really looked at the data, there was a great opportunity and there was more ROI in a different segment and that if we had pushed, pushed more um, resources to that segment, we'd actually grow faster. And so it wasn't necessarily that the, the target that they had was bad, but it wasn't the most effective use of resources. And so it's things like that and understanding the customer down to that level. The second is process. And the objective there is to develop a lead to revenue process that enables orchestration of sales and marketing resources. And this is really helping sales and marketing sit down, the leaders sit down and see the totality of what's happening, all the way from that first touch of marketing content to actual close. Because then we can start to see where people are falling out of the funnel, what is translating, what's the ROI on marketing, all those things can be done. But if we operate in two silos, where it's the marketing funnel and the sales funnel, I can't start to see where things are breaking down. I only know that this works in this funnel and this works in this funnel, but I don't start to see the whole picture. And then last but not least is the, the, uh, the communication pillar. And the objective there is to establish a formal feedback loop, turning sales and marketing into one uh, learning-focused team that can quickly adapt to changing buyer, customer, and market dynamics. And this goes back to being able to tap into that tribal knowledge and operating as one system that every, everything we intake, whether it be from sales and marketing, we all get access to and understand and are able to pivot as things change in the marketplace. We're talking to Jeff Davis. He's the author of the new revelatory book, Create Togetherness. And this is episode three in a, thir in a three-part series. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Jeff about uh, ideal customer profiles and the collaborative decision-making process. Stay with us. Do you feel frustrated or angry about the state of the country? Do you worry about illegal immigration, Sharia law, or the war on Christmas? Have you ever thought, but don't all lives matter? Or shouldn't the best qualified person get the job? Do you wish people would stop being so politically correct and learn to take a joke? Or maybe you just want to make America great again. If you've experienced any of these symptoms, you may have racism. Other symptoms of racism may include use of words or phrases such as urban, race card, social justice warrior, let's build a wall, confederate heritage, Kenya, and I'm not racist. Racism affects nearly one in every one people in the world today. But now there's hope. 
scientists have discovered a treatment for this unfortunate condition. Introducing Shut the Fuck Up. Studies have shown that shutting the fuck up, along with diet and exercise, can reduce your incidence of being racist by 100% and helps prevent the transmission of the disease to children and Canadians. Side effects of shutting the fuck up may include listening, learning, not saying stupid shit, noticing racial injustice, developing empathy for your fellow human beings, and dry mouth. Very often, people don't even realize they suffer from this condition, so please, Ask your doctor, or any five-year-old child, if you have racism, and see if shutting the fuck up is right for you. Remember, you don't have to live with the shame of your deeply ingrained social privilege and institutional racism. Just shut the fuck up. Because saying something loudly doesn't mean that you're saying something smart. Shutting the fuck up may also be used to treat similar conditions such as bigotry, homophobia, xenophobia, and sexism. For more symptoms and signs of racism and intolerance, please read Twitter or the comments section of anything. We're talking to Jeff Davis. He's the author of the new book, Create Togetherness. Um, Jeff, what do you do if a customer comes in and he wants to buy what, what you've got, he's ready to buy, but he doesn't match your ideal customer profile? Sell it to him. <laughs> no, all joking aside. I think the importance of being laser focused on the ideal customer profile is where do we spend our resources, time and energy going after the customer? Uh, if someone is coming to us and they may not, you know, 100% fit uh, our ICP, I think we treat them as any other target buyer and we try to co-create a solution and try to determine whether or not uh, we, we provide value to that customer. But what I, what I don't want uh, leaders to do and what I want leaders to stop doing is trying to go after everybody because that is a really uh, inefficient use of our time. But if we have people coming to us and we can serve them, absolutely, let's, 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 let's provide our, our, our solution or, I'm sorry, our solution or our product or our service. But spending the time to go after groups that don't match uh, what we're really good at, it's about going, it's about playing where you can win at the end of the day. So when you're working with uh, companies, when you're counseling them on alignment, and you're, you're sitting with whoever's in charge of inside sales, uh, helping them with the qualification process. Um, does, does this ever become an issue where they're so laser focused on their ideal customer profile that they perhaps miss opportunities coming at them that don't align with that exact definition? Sure, absolutely. I think that's always going to be um, a potential threat. Uh, and, and we have to be aware of that and, and be able to be be agile and flexible. Um, that takes a certain amount of maturity and really understanding our the benefits and the value proposition of our products or services. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, what, what I advocate for is, is really being efficient with our time and energy and making sure we're going after the right people. Um, and so it's, it's when, you, when you really do the work to understand who the ICB, the ICP is, the ideal customer profile. It's not just a gut feeling. It's what does the data say. What does the data say that the, the, that the customer profile that we go after that has the highest ROI? And it's not that you, you don't look at people that are outside of that. We've always had that argument, you know, you want to talk to everybody. But if, you know, 50% of your, your pipeline are coming from non-ICP targets, we have an issue. If, you know, 10% of them, that's probably okay. But if half of them are ICP and half of them are not ICP, that mix to me, 
shows that we, we have an inefficient process and, and we're wasting time going after people that probably have a high, high, high likelihood not to close. And so it's about that mix. Now, um, alignment strategy is highly collaborative uh, and cross-functional. But collaborative decision-making takes longer because more people are involved. So how do you overcome concerns, particularly at the C-suite level, that this approach could create bottlenecks and slow things down? Sure. That's why it's important to make sure that, you know, before we start this alignment transformation, that we have a very clear vision of where we're going and that we do that, that work before. Because to your point, if we go into this process where there's any ambiguity and we don't know what we're doing and why we're doing it and leaders are not clear on what we're trying to achieve, you absolutely hit the nail on the head that it's going to take longer because we don't have clarity. So again, it starts with the C-suite and senior leadership understanding clearly what we're trying to achieve being able to set clear milestones and expectations uh, before we even set out on this journey. And if you don't do that, that's where you start to get this ambiguity uh, and we're, you know, unfortunately not able to make decisions. So doing that work up front to make sure that everybody in leadership is on the same page, uh, that's when you're ready to really start this whole alignment transformation. I'd like to circle back to, to leadership, the, that question we just discussed, because Mm -hmm. You know, we're in this culture that's obsessed with quarterly profits, qu quarterly results, quarter to quarter, live or die by the quarter. And that's fairly short term. I mean, that's 90 days. So how do you convince leadership to invest beyond 90 days when, you know, doing so might slow them down uh, for the quarter? And this is a tough conversation to have with, with any leader, uh, you know, depending on the industry, every industry is different. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, there is a push for, for quarterly results and, and hitting those numbers. But we also have to understand that specifically in B2B right now, we are in the midst of a, a seismic disruption in the way that business is done right now. And, and why for some people that may sound really scary, I have always taken the approach that where there's disruption, there's opportunity. And I think right now, as a forward-thinking leader, this is the time to invest and go big and do what we need to do in order to catapult your, yourself into the future of B2B and really be able to respond to the modern buyer in a meaningful way. For those companies that are playing it safe during this period, I think that they are going to find that right now they are playing offense in dealing with the modern buyer and trying to catch up. But at some point in the near future, it's going to be decent. And those companies that, that did the work, that took the long-term view and reorganized themselves and transformed the organization to be ready to to really meet the needs of the modern buyer are going to be so far ahead. I mean, we see companies doing this on the B2C side of the house. I mean, you know, stereotypically B2B were always behind B2C, but companies like Amazon and Zappos and Netflix that really changed, fundamentally changed the way they did business are leapfrogging their competitors. And so that is happening right now in B2B. And so what I, what I, what I, what I share with CEOs and senior leadership is that, you know, this is, Although a scary time because a lot of things are changing, this is the opportune time if you understand the opportunity to invest really hard, change the way that you go to business, and I guarantee you in the, in the near future, we'll, you, you will see the reward of being able to, to adapt to the marketplace. Jeff, uh, final question. And, and by the way, thank you so much for, uh, you know, giving us this deep dive into alignment strategy, which is clearly one of the hottest topics in, in B2B today. Um, you know, after you finished the book and it went to print, 
is there anything you left out that you thought, man, I wish I would have gotten that in there? Anything that's sort of <laughs> come to mind since then or some new uh, insight that you've had that you can share with us here? Uh, I don't necessarily think that I felt like I missed anything. I had to, I had to breathe for two seconds uh, because I was exhausted. Um, I, I, I think I purposely stopped where I stopped because I want, uh, I never want to write uh, a book or a piece of content that has so much that it's overwhelming and that people feel like they, that they're drinking from a fire hose and they, and they, they are pushing to inactivity. Uh, one of the questions that I get a lot of times is, you know, the importance of aligning with uh, product and customer service and those other teams, those other teams within the organization. And I, and I'm hundred percent on board with that. But what I argue with people is that the sales and marketing relationship has been so dysfunctional for so long that if we're able to fix this issue and really get it right, all of those other players within, um, within the, the buying experience and the customer experience will fall in the suit. These are like the two, the two biggest kids on the playground that are fighting. Like if you, if you get them to stop fighting and you get them to, to be more kind uh, to each other, everybody, they'll, they'll serve as a model for everybody. So there wasn't anything in particular that uh, I wanted to get in the book. I think when and if, uh, and it's probably more when uh, I write my second book, um, I probably will do a deeper dive into how leaders that traditionally have not been uh, data-driven, how they start to, uh, you know, bring on more operations talent because I, I, I'm, seeing an, I'm seeing an increase in the need for sales ops and, and marketing ops talent as we get more data-focused. And so I think that's a topic that I'm looking at uh, doing more workarounds to help, you know, leaders say, like, look, you don't have to be a data expert or data analyst overnight. But what you need to be able to do is understand how to ask the right questions and manipulate the data so that we can get the insights we need to make really smart business decisions. So that's what I probably would say. If I were to add anything, uh, I would probably add that into the book. You've been listening to episode three of a three-part interview series with Jeff Davis. He's author of the new book, Create Togetherness. Now, if you want to get a free copy of this book, head on over to ericschwartzman.com forward slash togetherness, and uh, you can sign up to get your free copy there. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. Eric, thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.